I've got my little, I can see the, I, I was going to say the front row should move back, <laughs> just in case. <coughs> but I got a little rag up here and honey and everything else, so. All right, let's start it up. Okay, uh, let me ask you a question. Would you like to know what God's launch, launching us into? Would you like to know that? I would. <laughs> I can tell you, I have been asking that question quite a bit, and I go out for my prayer time on Monday, and God gives it to me, and I am just like blown away. So that's what I'm going to share with you today, what he's launching us into. Very excited about it. Who's our prayer? Kyle, where are you? Thank you. Okay, this is awesome. <laughs> I love you. I know you're waiting for me to say something and I don't know what to do because I really do want to say all kinds of really nice things about you, but you're going to hate me and I love you. So, so love on him. That's a good man right there, okay? So lift up the sermon, would you, and lift up the, another church. Um, uh, Lord, uh, thank you for this day and the sun, even though it's still pretty cold. Uh, be with us in this transition moment. Um, help us find our place in this moment as we go through this, looks like, year of transition. Um, where can we be useful? Point our hands and eyes in the right direction. And I pray for the Mission Church and their children's ministry, because they Thank are you. also going through a similar transition. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. All right. In order to bring you to the same revelation that I got as best as possible, I'm going to walk you through the journey of how I got it, okay? We do that a lot. It's just, I, I love doing this kind of thing because I feel like it helps people see what the Christian walks looks like, right? Does, God does a lot of that, right? He brings Jesus to show us what living as a Christian is supposed to look like right? And then he does all kinds of things like that throughout history and so on. He just has people walk in ways and then people see it and they go, oh, now I get it, okay? It's not just abstract ideas. So here's what happens. It actually starts before Justine's sermon last week, but it has everything to do with Justine's sermon last week because she was telling me weeks before we even knew that I was out and that and that she wasn't going to be the next one. Before that, she was saying, I've got this idea, and she was telling me what the idea was, and I was going, that's it. Now, as it became more clear that actually I wasn't going to be here, then I started saying, oh, this is one of those sermons. You know, we've been doing this for years now, where every once in a while, God will give us a sermon That'll be, usually they come right at the first of the year, right at the first of the fall, or something like that, right? And he'll give us a sermon that becomes the thing that we're then gonna build on for the next several weeks or months or the next season, whatever that is. Well, I have to tell you, as everything started to unfold, and she even came to me like a week before she gave the sermon, and she said, I, you know, if I'm not gonna be the person, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, and, and it, just, it just feels a little awkward. And I said, no, to the contrary. I said, I, I feel like this is the sermon that isn't just for the next season as in weeks and months, but that's for the next church. This is the church that God's trying to make. Now, for those of you who didn't hear the sermon, it was about evangelism. And there was a really key point that came out that she didn't know was gonna happen. She just did such a masterful job last week. It was a brilliant sermon. She's amazing. And what happened was, is that she said, you know, evangelism, and then people started telling stories about these times when God does that special thing that he does, where he orchestrates every single part of it, and it's just like, duh, you know, you can't possibly not walk into it almost, right? And then what she said was, that's not what my sermon's about. I'm not talking about those times when God has orchestrated everything. I'm talking about the everyday of being an evangelist of taking the Great Commission and moving it out in your life. I'm talking about what it looks like in a life when it's happening all the time. Now, I knew when I heard that, and again, at that point in time, I knew that God was truly, as he's been saying now for months, that he was gonna do a totally new thing. That's what we've been saying, right, for months. Way before I knew and all that, we've been saying God's doing a totally new thing. And, and I knew when I heard that sermon, I went, this is that sermon. 
the one that sets the foundation for what it is that he's going to do in the whole of the next church. So I've got that in my mind on Monday morning when I go out to pray, and there was a sermon that we had, but I already kind of knew that the sermon that we talked about a little while ago wasn't gonna be the one. So I went out on my walk. I always am totally open, but I went on my walk just totally open, and here's the first thing I do on my walk, okay, is I open up the church app, and this is the second page of the church app, but it's Lake Sam, and you can get it off of the Android store or the, app, or the iPhone or whatever. But, but there, this is the Devo tab of it, and it's right down there at the very bottom. You can see it lit up, and you just push that thing, and then you get these things right here, and then I push soap reading, because I wanna read scripture, and we do a little old, a little new, and you can see it right at the top there, Judges 6 and Luke 17. Now, now I do this at the beginning of my walk, on my walk because I'm walking with my phone and I'm reading the scripture. And what I find is, the reason why I like doing that is because it puts me in his frame, in his world, as opposed to the world that I'm in from all so much else that I do in life, right? This sort of gets me to hearing his voice. And I'm always thinking that God's talking to me and I'm always thinking that he's trying to communicate something to me. And I'm always looking for the speed bump. That's what we look for in soap. What's the speed bump? What's he trying to say to you? You may have read that passage 20 times before. And yet there's a new thing that God's trying to say to you through it. So I, I do this. I go to there and I push on the little button and it brings up Judges. And then, but let me show you the Judges passage. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. This is Judges. Remember Judges is the roller coaster. What happens is the, the people will go after some other God. He told them, we, we did all this in recent sermons, the people will be in a place to where they've rejected or they've actually picked up other gods and they're not really following God and they'll get into a very bad place because of it. And then what will happen is they'll cry out and then God will deliver them through the judge. And then they'll be okay again until they start not being okay again. So here's what happens. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They went after other gods. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So from this desperate place, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And what does he do? He raises up a judge. And in this case, the judge is Gideon. So literally, an angel of the Lord, probably a theophany, meaning Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Jesus, comes and talks with Gideon about it. And at one point in time, Gideon says, now this is very important, Gideon says, let me give you a gift, and he goes back and prepares him a meal, and he brings it, and the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, says, put it on this rock. He puts it on the rock, and then the Lord touches it, and it gets consumed in fire. Now, right there, don't you think if you were Gideon, you'd be going, okay, I should pay attention. <laughs> it's one thing to be talking to the angel of the Lord. It's another thing entirely to have him sort of burn up the offering, and now you're, you, you'd think you'd be sort of like in a faith-filled place, wouldn't you? And then comes the famous thing about Gideon, because he wasn't in a faith-filled place, was he? He did this thing about fleeces, and by the way, I love you, but don't ever do a fleece. You have something infinitely better than a fleece. You have the Holy Spirit who's leading you, okay? So this fleece thing is not a good thing. God had to do it to a man who was lacking in faith. And so here's what happens. Then Gideon said to God, after he's burned up this offering, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promise, prove it to me. Can I say right there? <laughs> Thank you for that. Right there. God, prove it to me. <laughs> Not cool, <laughs> okay? You got a faith, you got a person that's struggling with trusting God. If he's having to say to God, you gotta prove it to me. See it? So he says, prove it to me in this way. I'll put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I'll know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that's just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Now, I've always thought 
he did start at the wrong place. If you're going to do a fleece, at least do the right one, right? Because, I mean, of course the wool's going to hold the moisture and the ground would dry faster, right? I don't know if that was in play or not, but what was in play was a lack of faith. Because he comes back, even though God has done exactly what he asked and got a bowl full of water. That's what feels like the part. We, we, there shouldn't have been a bowl full and everything else dry. A bowl full is put a fleece out in Seattle, let it rain. It's all wet. <laughs> you might get a bowl out of the fleece, but everything else is wet too. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use, see he knows he's already in a weird place, but let me use the fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Now, I read this passage, I'm talking about my journey, and I read this passage, and I know this story well and everything else, and nothing particularly stood out to me until later when God brought me back to it. But let me show you what's in here as long as we're in this passage right now, so that when we come back to it, all right, how little Gideon's faith really was. I knew that when I was reading that, but I've always known that about this passage. This is a tough passage. This isn't a good thing. That Gideon is an example of the lack of faith that the Israelites had, the lack of relationship that they had, the lack of trust that they had, the lack of relationship that they had. That's what Gideon is. He stands as that. So how little his faith was, how little his trust really was, but here's the part that we're gonna circle back in a second, but that I didn't get the first time through. With his and the Israelites' future, how little his faith was, how little his belief was, how little his trust was with their future. Now, here's why I say that. This is like Sam. We've got a future coming that nobody knows. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you? We like to think that we do. But can we just be honest and know that we kind of do and kind of don't? You know what I mean? We'd like a fleece too. We'd like something that would prove it to us. And then we could be at rest, we think. Funny thing about proof, though, you still need another one. The only way you're ever gonna get peace is letting the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and bring you peace. With that in mind, as I said, I didn't have this in my mind yet, and then I went to Luke. And another funny thing happened to me that doesn't usually happen. The, the, the very first of this is, is you know, you gotta forgive people in this particular passage says seven times a day. The disciples, knowing that this was a big deal, said, show us how to increase our faith. How are we gonna do this stuff that you're telling us to do? It's, it's you know, somebody wrongs me and I'm just supposed to forgive them if, if they ask for forgiveness, no matter how many times, seven times. The first time I forgive somebody, the second time I forgive somebody, the third time I'm saying, I'm an idiot if I forgive you anymore. You're just gonna keep doing this. And he's saying doing that seven times 70 or in this example, seven times a day, Give me a break. So the Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now I somehow, and I'm telling you, I think it was the Lord, but I read that passage and I don't know what I was thinking about, but the words never went in. I was, I was not cognizant that those words were there. I read it. I, maybe you do this every once in a while too, but I read it. And then I went to the next part of it, and it wasn't until I got into the next part of it that I went, what the heck is going on here? Because the next part of it's really weird. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does the master say, come in and eat with me? No. He says, prepare my meal. Put on, look, he's already done the harvest part. Right? He's already brought it in. But he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, serve me while I eat, and then you can eat after that. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, I want to tell you, that's been a story that's always been a little burr in my saddle. It's just weird. God is so loving and he's so caring and he's so supportive and he's so gentle and he's so encouraging and he's so... All of these things that here he's just saying, just do what the heck you're supposed to do. <laughs> don't expect a thanks. Don't expect a reward. Don't expect anything to come back. You don't need a pat on the back. 
You know what I mean? Just do what you're supposed to do. Now, does that sound like the Jesus that you're used to hearing about, that you're used to being with? It's harsh. It's just, it's just at another level of, that's weird. So I'm reading this, and this is my speed bump for myself this day. I read that, and I speed bump it. I go, that, this is such a weird thing for you to say. <laughs> and then he says, yeah, go back up and read the part that you missed. So I did. They asked him to increase their faith because he told them forgiveness seven times, just keep doing it. And they were saying, we don't think we can. So they say, you've got to make our faith more so that we can maybe get to what you're telling us to do. And then he says, look, even a little bitty bit of faith, real faith, does so much that it'll take a mulberry tree, it'll uproot it and plant it in the sea. A little bit of faith will make an enormous difference. And that's why this story's here. You did your duty. What did he tell us to do in this story right here? What did he tell us to do? Forgive people. Now, what did he not do? He didn't say this. I'll help you. I'll encourage you. I'll give you a heart. What he says, I told you to forgive people. Just forgive them. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Don't come up with reasons why. Don't figure out for me what's wrong with them. Don't do all the things that we do as human beings to figure out how to do what is more natural for us to do, which is to say, no, not seven times 70, good grief. No. And what he's saying is, yes, just do it. Now watch this. If we will just do what he's asking us to do, if we make a habit out of the things he's told and shown us to do, if we would just understand that these things are supposed to be the things our life is supposed to be made up of, if we would understand that when he tells us to forgive, he's saying, I'm telling you to forgive. <laughs> he's not giving us an option. He's not giving us a way out. He's not telling us he's going to encourage us. He's just telling us to do it. And what happens when you just obey? What happens? We don't need a thank you, an attaboy, a reward. We don't even need encouragement to do it. It'll just be what we do. That will be a life so overflowing with God and incredibleness that it's the only way you'll ever want to live. You see what he's saying? Can I tell you something? I'm just gonna, again, I, this is always a weird part when you have to, right? But I'm just gonna talk about myself. I determined early in my Christian life, and believe me, before my Christian life, this whole thing of forgiveness, it was wise. It was not wise to forgive people that would continually offend you, right? How many times have you heard that in the world's way of thinking about things and so on? Somebody keeps wronging you, don't keep forgiving them. Now, it does say, by the way, it does say, in that passage right there, it says, if they ask for forgiveness. If they're not asking for forgiveness, then there's something else going on. But I determined that it wouldn't really matter, that what really matter is, is that I became a person that forgave. I was not gonna hold on to things because I, I heard that little statement that I always love, which is, forgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to get sick. Unforgiveness is. It's like you drinking poison waiting for the other person to get sick. I knew that the unforgiveness was going to hurt me more than it ever hurt them. And so I wasn't gonna do that. I wasn't gonna be a person who did that. And I was gonna forgive. A lot of people in this room have known me for a long time. Is there anything that you've ever seen me ever not forgive somebody for, ever, even once? And I'm not saying, you know, I've done some stupid things to people and I feel like, you know, is I don't think it's appropriate for me to say they had to forgive me. But here's what I want to say. I'm, I understand what a screw-up I am. I understand what I do right, what I do wrong. I understand. And I just determined that it would be better to live a life that was filled 
to overflowing with forgiveness than it would be to live a life that was always trying to balance some scale that was wrong. And here's the point, as I just did it, over and over and over and over and over, I don't have to work on it at all anymore. <laughs> I don't even think about it. It's not a thing. I'm not struggling. I can't wait to forgive somebody, why? It sets me free. I don't do it for selfish reasons. I do it because I'm trying not to keep them in bondage too. I'm trying to get them to a place to where God can work with them and it's not my bondage that's keeping them in, encased, ensconced, right? That's a scripture that says that. Right? You keep them in bondage. I just felt like it was better for them and it was better for me and it was better for everybody and I don't even think about it anymore. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to, think, I don't have to ask him to increase my faith. I just did what he told me to do and it made that kind of a difference. Let me just, just hit one more thing with you. Oh, what happened here? I heard the noise. I didn't know what it was. Is that where we are? Look, if you become a person who always forgives, eventually you'll live in such beautiful forgiveness of yourself and others that not only will it be easy if you're to give anyone for virtually anything, but you'll also be living in such wonderful freedom that you will never want to not forgive. It's not hard anymore. It's easy. <laughs> it's, right? Now this isn't a sermon about forgiveness. This is a sermon about evangelism. Now, let me tell you something. That principle that we're talking about works in every area of your Christian walk. God says, do a devotional. Jesus, it was his habit. He showed us what to do. It was his habit to go off and, and go into the wilderness and pray and be with God alone. That's what he says to do, and that's a thing that we're to do. Well, you know, we don't. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, I have been for 40-some years I can't imagine a life without a devotional. It would be so horrible. It'd be so much less than what my life is. I'm not saying that every morning I wake up and I can't wait to get out there. But what I am saying is, I just do it. <laughs> and then when I do it, it just makes me to where I don't ever wanna not do it. <laughs> the more I do, the more I get it. Now, now we're getting to the big one though. You can take this to every area of your life that God has told us to do and that Jesus has showed us how to live. But now watch this, evangelism. What did he say? Because it wasn't like complicated. When we just do what he's asking and shown us, it becomes easier and easier to do. And then he told them, very, very end of the book, Last thing he says before he ascends, except for the, this is what he says after, but then there's the Acts thing. But, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's a command, right? We call it the Great Commission, but go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Does it feel like he's telling us to do that? then what are we supposed to do? And do we? Mm -mm. Not really. Particularly not the way that Justine was saying it last week. If, it, if all of the circumstances are totally orchestrated for us, yes, we'll walk in, hopefully. Not even then all the time, but hopefully. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty here, by the way. This isn't condemnation at all. To the contrary, I'm gonna show us how to actually get to where you really want this because the truth is we, do, we don't really want this. So just, just watch what we're gonna do here. But I just want you to go through this and I want you to see, now watch, okay? Why don't we do this? We talked about it a little bit last week. We're afraid of how they're gonna react. We don't think we'll do it right. We don't really know what to do. Now what's God say to all of that? Just do it. And the more we do what he says to do, the more all the fear, hesitation, worry, all of the other issues go away. 
everybody in this room, multiple times in your life, has been faced with doing something new, a promotion at work, a new job, a new town, a new college, a new whatever. Everybody's been faced with doing something new. And before you did that, what did it feel like? It was scary, right? What am I gonna do? Who am I gonna be? How am I gonna do this? What's gonna happen? Da, 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 da. And then what'd you do? Well, you just had to do it. <laughs> so you just went in there, and then over time, what happened? You kind of got good at it. You understood what the new dimensions of the job were, what the new requirements were, what the new things were. You understood what it was, and you just started doing it, right? And pretty soon, you started doing it in a way that you never feared again. You never wondered again. You never had any issue about whether or not you should do it or not. It's just who you are now. You have become that person. You see it? God is saying, have faith and trust me. There's no need for a fleece. You've got the Holy Spirit. Right? You don't need any big sign. You don't need an attaboy. You don't need a reward. You don't need a pat on the back. All you need to do is do it. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the more your concerns about it fall away. Okay? Now, this is the first, but now I gotta show you some. So this is, the, this is hopefully worth the price of admission. I hope that was good. But now I wanna show you what this means for this church. This is a picture of downtown Bellevue over here to the left. And you see those little X's sort of? That's Microsoft Campus. They're not? Oh. Oh. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah. Okay, well, this is a little old because this isn't even, yeah, there's already more in the Spring District too. But you see from downtown, now, can you see, I don't know if you can tell, where's my, uh, can you see right about here, do you see that, do you see that? That's the rail line. Do you see where it goes? Right through there, do you see it? And then it goes down here, and then it, or it goes over here, and then it comes over here. Okay, now, but here's the point. That corridor right there has all been rezoned. And it's been rezoned, this is Spring District, but this is, see that's Lake Bellevue? I love that they call that Lake Bellevue, it's just a pond, you know? But anyway, Lake Bellevue, and then you see there's a whole new road that goes into it, and then you see all these buildings. What these buildings are, is they're, they're a, the idea is that you would work in one building and live in another and never need a car. See it? So about half of the, all, the ground floor of everything is commercial, businesses and so on. But what happens is, is that you live in one building, apartments, and then you work in the other building that is the work building. See, right there. And that, that spring district, you saw the density on that. That density is going all the way down. All of these bigger buildings, all of these buildings go away. Every single one of them. And they all get replaced by that. And it goes all the way up here. This is over like here. That's going away too. All of this goes up there. That entire complex, what is that? Maybe three miles or so? Crow flies, I don't know if it's that far. But, but that, it's three miles of high density residential work commercial which is to say there are thousands upon thousands of housing units that are going in in that strip. There's probably, I don't know if it's 100,000, but it's probably close to 100,000 people in the next few years. Not quite that quick, because it'll take a little while. But it's a lot of people. Tens of thousands in the next couple of years. Because that's how fast they're already building. You just drive through there, you'll see it. They're just raising everything and popping things up. Now, it's not just that, is it? Because everybody in this, that lives in this region or since many time here knows what's happened to Bellevue in particular, more so than even Redmond or anywhere else, but Bellevue in particular. Bellevue in particular has gone through the fastest demographic shift in a city that I think has, I, that I've ever heard of. 
in a couple years, just a few years, it has, when I first came to Bellevue, it was generational Caucasian, generational families, okay? And it meant, it meant to plant a church here was kind of a tough thing because people went to their family's church. They'd been going to the church for generations. That's where they went. And to plant a church there was kind of tough. In fact, Steve Getzler, the original pastor of this church, uh, it was called Grace at that time. Steve Gessler actually didn't like that dynamic enough that he moved over to Sammamish where they were planting, where they were building mile upon mile of new homes. And he was saying that's gonna be a much richer field to be in. And he was absolutely correct. I mean, you know, you can build a church here and we did, but it was, it, and I'm not saying it was super tough. I think, I, think Lake, I think Lake Sam had a great benefit in that so many people liked the church in general, that when somebody came that was halfway decent at preaching, everybody just came back. So we had a really nice start. But here's what I'm trying to say. This, this neighborhood right here, this is this neighborhood right here. See all that? That's huge, huge, huge apartment complexes right in there. In about two years, Virtually every unit in that apartment complex changed. Just the whole thing. It went all Indian. Across the street, we have 50 languages being spoken. Just on this side over here, huge projects, completely changing. Just a couple of years ago, Bellevue went minority-majority, meaning that there were more minorities than there was Caucasian. We're, under, we're undergoing the largest shift in demographics that I've ever seen any city go through. I've never seen so many people move away from a church, ever. Usually at my age, you know, you get a bunch of people that have been there for a long time and we're all just grown old together. You know, but now, move, 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 move. We're talking not quite, but probably close to tens of thousands, maybe as many as 100,000 people coming in in this strip. Not to mention, it's a 400,000 person town that is, what percentage of it has shifted in the last, say, five years? Because I can tell you, every place that I've lived, it's 100%. None of the people that were there are there still. Not none, but you get my drift. It's 90% easy, easy. And look where Lake Sam is. Why don't you soak that in for a second? If you were gonna plant a church that was gonna be right in the middle of the most phenomenal demographic change that you have ever seen in any city, where would you want that church to be? Because I can tell you, you cannot possibly be more perfectly situated than right there. The whole point is they don't want people to hop in cars and just do short Uber rides. You can actually walk from much of, this, much of the new development to us. There is this, this is the most exciting opportunity for God to move that I have ever seen. I'm telling you, just being vulnerable and transparent, it makes me wonder if we should move. I know for certain that I'm supposed to step down. But it makes me wonder if I really wanna move. Because I like to be where God is. And as I look around, I can't imagine a place where God's gonna be more than here. And that's what God has for like Sam. By the way, I think he's still telling us, I've been saying, I'd be willing to stay, and I think he's still telling us, no, I have plans and purposes for you too, and you're supposed to go. But I can tell you I'm praying about it, because I like to be where God does stuff. In fact, let me take it a little bit further with you. Lake Sam is not just any old church. There's a lot of really good churches in Bellevue. I don't, we've been very blessed We've got a lot of really good churches in Lake Sam. I really, I mean in Bellevue. But there is something that's somewhat unique about Lake Sam. Not entirely, but pretty close. This is a charismatic church. 
Pentecostal church. This is a spirit-filled church. I'm all for these other churches and they're bringing people to the Lord and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. The most evangelistic moment probably in all of history, not necessarily by number, but by what happened, the most evangelistic moment in all of history, I would argue, is the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And from that moment, 3,000 people were saved. I'm being serious. Do you want to be somewhere where a sound of a mighty rushing wind comes in and tongues of fire fall? Do you want to be somewhere? Because I got to tell you, that's here. That's what I think awaits here. And here's one of the ways I can almost prove it to you. Who was the crowd that listened to that at the very beginning? At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, all the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Does, does that passage remind you of a community that you might be living in right now all of a sudden? 50 languages spoken across the street. 50 languages. How is God going to penetrate culture? How's he going to make a difference in culture? How's he going to get through to somebody from a different culture? How's he going to do that? He doesn't have any problem with it whatsoever. He just fills people with the Spirit and then tells them to do what he knows the other person needs. And they get saved. That's, by the way, is not just this time. One of the other most magnificent periods of Christian history was Azusa Street, the beginning of the reawakening, essentially, of the charismatic Pentecostal, this idea that the Holy Spirit moves and moves in power to do what? Why does the Holy Spirit move? To give you the jollies? No, never. It's always to reach out and get somebody and bring them in in a way that only he knows how to get them in. And that was Azusa Street, and Azusa Street, the thing that marks every book you'll ever read about Azusa Street was this. That's a, that was in L.A. 1901. And the thing that'll mark it is there was people from all over the world that spoke all kinds of different languages that had gathered in L.A. at that particular point in time. It was a particular point in L.A.'s history. It wasn't that they came there for Azusa Street. They were already there. And God came into this multicultural environment and did Azusa Street and spread it to the entire world. Would you like to be part of a church where God did something that he then spread to the rest of the world? Do you know how easy it is for him to do that right here now? Because the people that are coming here are not staying necessarily. They might be going back to their country, they might be going somewhere else, but they're coming here because this is where the jobs are. And then they have the mobility because they're good jobs. And then they're going all around the world. Sorry. God, I wish I was 40 years younger. <laughs> 30 years, actually. I'm serious. I wish I was 30 years younger. And I was seeing this. <laughs> that happens once in a generation. I'm a, not a product of, but I'm a near cousin to the Jesus movement. My generation is retiring. God's going to do a new thing again. This is what he's gonna do. And this is the perfect place to do it from. Lake Sam is what God has for Bellevue. He's the one that put us here. I was trying to go all kinds of other places. I definitely didn't want to be in this building. But he put us here.
because he knew it was gonna happen. Spirit-filled body bringing salvation to people around the world. So the question is, are we gonna respond? And I'm putting we. Are we gonna respond? Super important moment right now. We don't really want it. You cannot get to where God wants you to be until you admit this to yourself. Here's how I can prove it to you, almost. Jesus lived a life that anybody can look at, Christian or not, everybody who's ever looked at Jesus' life has said one thing about it. He lived a better life than I'm living. Everybody who's ever studied him and everybody who's ever looked at his life with any kind of sobriety, any kind of realism and so on, looked at his life and said, he lived a life that is better than the life that I'm living. So then why don't we all just try and live that life? (laughs) The disciples in the first church, it says, people respected them greatly, but feared to join them. This. This is what I'm talking about. You can look at Mother Teresa and you can say, she lived a better life than I'm living for sure. And I still don't want to live it. (laughs) Until you understand that, yeah, you want, there's a part of you that wants to live Jesus's life. The life that he said was possible. In fact, the whole point of his coming on the first half of it, and then there was salvation in the cross, but the whole first part of it was God saying, here's what a life looks like in Christ, in God. This is what it's supposed to look like. He was showing us what life was supposed to look like. And yet nobody even tries, not really. So right there, the first thing we have to do is say, there is a part of me that really wants it. You can say that too. But then you gotta say the other thing, which is, I, but there's another part of me that doesn't really want it. There's another part of me that just wants to be a little more chill, go to a movie, you know, whatever. Hang. So the first thing we gotta do is we gotta say, I really don't want it. And then, you gotta, and then once you say that for real, you can say the next thing. There's no way I can actually get there. If you could get there in yourself, you would have. Because there's a party that wants it. But that other part and all the rest of it makes it to where it can't happen. And so here's the thing that we have in Scripture and in God that is so beautiful. He who authored is going to perfect. He who begun is going to complete. Oh, foolish Galatians, oh, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? If you try and become this thing in yourself, you cannot do anything but fall far short. But if you will do this instead, this is a guy whose son was being thrown into the fire with seizures and so on, and he was saying, and the, the father says this, please to Jesus, he's saying, please Jesus, if you are able to do something, anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now look what Jesus' response is. It's kind of a little cruel on, on a certain level. If you're able to help us. And Jesus replies, what do you mean, if? If you to the Father, if you are able to believe in the one who's standing there who can do this. It's not a question of whether I can do it, it's a question of whether or not you believe I can do it. (laughs) You see? If you are able to believe, all things are possible to the believer. The mulberry cast into the sea, if only a mustard seed worth of faith. And this this is the word that I believe the Lord has for us right now. When the father heard this, the boy's father cried out with tears saying, I do believe, Lord. But then the other part, help my unbelief. (laughs) I do believe. Help the other part. We have a moment here. I don't know what this church is gonna look like five years from now. I can't tell you. I can't tell you that everything I just said is going to actually happen. What I can tell you is, there's no reason for it not to happen. What I can tell you is it's perfectly situated for it to happen. What I can tell you is I believe with all of my heart that this is exactly what God wants to do. 
And I believe it so strongly that I believe whether you're here or not, he's probably gonna do it. So the question isn't gonna be whether or not, really in my mind, whether or not God's gonna do it. The question's gonna be, are you gonna get to be a part of it? Now I'm not putting pressure on anybody to stay here with the new pastor and all that kind of stuff. This isn't that kind of a, I, would, I don't do that kind of crap, okay? But here's what I am doing. I think that this is a real moment. I think that we need to go before the Lord right now and I think we need to do something. We need to say, do I want this or not? Regardless of whether you're here or not. Here's what we need to do. We need to say, I'm giving myself to you to do with me what you, whatever you would want. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, would you now begin to speak to people here? You know, I wasn't gonna do this, but I am gonna do it. Uh, I wasn't gonna do it because I thought I'd be coughing the whole time and it'd be a radioactive zone up here, but I didn't, so it's not. So you don't have to come right here. But what I am asking you to do is, seriously, I want you to take a moment, and, and if you're saying, you're not saying, yes, I'll be part of Lake Sam, no matter what happens or anything like that. I'm not asking for that. What I'm asking for is what I just preached. Are you willing to become his instrument to bring other people to the Lord? Are you willing to let him do what only he can do in the time that he's going to do it? And if you do believe that that's, what, if you believe that, if you think that, come forward. Okay, altar call, right? Come forward. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' most magnificent, incredible, and beautiful name. Come, Lord. We say to you, we believe, help our unbelief. We say to you, I can't get there, but you can get me there. So get me there. Please, Jesus. Beautifully, completely, utterly. Get me there. Get us there. We want to be part of what you're doing. In Jesus' holy and precious name. get back to your seats, just take that cup that's in front of you. Give a word? Yeah. Is it on? As you guys came forward, you know that verse of the count the cost. 
You know, our pastor just prophesied over us. He prophesied us forward. And we do have to count the cost because it isn't going to look easy because if it did, everybody would do it. And I just, I thank you, family, for counting the cost and saying yes. Jesus' name, we pick up this cup, the one underneath which is the bread, and we say, God, we recognize that part in us that does want, and we recognize that part that doesn't. And we recognize that that part has been stealing and killing and destroying us, and we put our finger in here and we break it to acknowledge that we recognize how it's breaking our lives. And now we lift that cup to you and we look through that cup to the cross, Jesus on the cross, and by his stripes we have been healed. You who know our failings and our flailings and our, are not quite there more than we do, we come to you and say thank you for healing us. We don't just say thank you for it, we praise you for it. We beg you for it and we praise you for it. Heal us. In Jesus' name, take this cup together. Now in Jesus' name, we raise this other cup in which is the life that you have for us. It's a life that's always been there. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, you're just waiting for us to enter into it. And so we're asking you, Lord, bring us into what you already have in fullness in Jesus. Take together. Thank you, Lord. <laughs>